Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, we answer your questions about easy versus jogging, marathon warm-ups, and overtraining. And after that, World of Running updates about World Marathon Majors, money, NCAA Conference Championships, and more. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us. And oh, you're not talking to me? Welcome back? Because <laughs> I haven't been on the show for a couple of weeks. I don't know if anyone noticed. But Zach did such a fabulous job that, you know, you probably didn't miss me that much. That's not true. Welcome back for all of you as well. Um, <laughs> if you aren't yet aware, this is our monthly Q&A episode, our favorite episode of the month where we answer your questions. And of course, if you have questions and you haven't asked them yet, you can ask away and we'll put them on for the next one. And that is our favorite thing. So you need to ask your questions or we won't be able to answer them. And in order to do that, all you have to do is go to a to zrunningcom slash question. And you can ask as many questions as you want, as often as you want. That doesn't mean we'll answer them every single time, but we might. Who knows? Might. Yeah, who knows? You might as well try. And speaking of questions and episodes that are tailored to you, Liz said that she felt like the last few episodes were for her. And the, re they were. Well, the reason that that might be the case is because a lot of us struggle with the same things as runners. And that's why we just want to talk about the things that are going on in running and training and life that surrounds all of it. Well, it's not even struggle. It's like all of this stuff. Yeah. Like we're, we're all engaging in basically the same experience and with, you know, with the individual nuances. And so that's why we do what we do here is because we can pretty much talk about anything running related and it relates to every runner out there in some sense. Um, right. Or some which of is it why will. we enjoy not, not every, no, but I'm saying like as runners, that's why we have like this kind of universal yeah. experience because yeah. it is so relatable. You can be Elliot Kipchoge or you can be someone who is running your first 5k of your life and you share still quite a bit. And that's, yeah, that's really, really cool. cool. Actually, Footsum was talking about that in our interview with him a couple of weeks ago, too. And I can really appreciate that when he was coming into a new culture, into a new country. And he loved that about running is that he found a community really quickly. Mm. And I think that we can be that for others and we can also find that for ourselves. And it's just a really special thing. Speaking about special things, this episode is fueled by chocolate chip pumpkin cake. Thanks, he hasn't Pete, done that in a while. <laughs> Pete said I haven't done it in a while. We so used to show you the treats that we were eating every week, but I thought you know that, that might be kind of cruel. You know the reason we haven't been doing that is not because we're not eating them. No. Just, you know, there's so much to talk about. Well, anyway, there you go. That's something good. Another something good is the sweet new A to Z running apparel, which you have not yet acquired. And if you would like to, you may by going to a to z running.com slash shop or just look for the word shop anywhere on our website. This kind of stuff is only available for a limited time because sizes are limited. And of course, you know, it's awesome. If you want yours, we got hats, visors, shirts, hoodies, like what Andy's wearing, and half zip types of jackets. And uh, all of that is currently available in just about all the sizes, mm -hmm. but sizes won't last long. Yeah, and holidays are just around the corner, so you mm. might want to be thinking ahead. Speaking of around the corner, we have some great content for you in our main topic. So now that we're around the corner, 
<laughs> what is this corner thing you keep doing? I don't doing? know. I just I don't know anything about these corners. I know. I just felt like I had to like complete the transition by oh. saying that. So now that we're around the corner, we're going to answer your questions. We're going to start with a question that a lot of people ask. And that is, is there a difference between joggy, jogging and easy running? And if so, what is the difference between them? Well, that, in fact, um, that is the good place to start. Is there a difference? Why do people use jogging and easy? Well, the question has to be answered in context because we don't know what your coach is defining as jogging and easy. That's true. Um, and so we'll tell you what we are. And in particular, because we've talked a lot about efforts and using efforts to determine uh, our training. And so when we do that, we do use these terms as separate concepts. And so this question came from Brandon. And specifically, I have to already criticize you, Brandon, for the very first thing you said, which is wondering about the idea of jogging versus easy pace. <laughs> Whoops. No, it's he could ask know, about that. I know, I know. Goodness I'm gracious. Being silly, he means Andy. pace, effort, you know, think, he's meaning similar thing I think when he Brandon's says that. Gonna take take me at my meaning, not my saying. Um okay, so yes, I no, that was I was just being overly cynical on purpose. All right. So let's get to the heart of it. Um, Brandon says, uh, so it's taken some time getting used to trying to get the right effort when the day is jogging or the day is easy running. And why are those things different? Um, all that kind of stuff. And so not sure I can articulate the question correctly, but what I'm wondering about is how can you know the difference between easy and jogging? And when should a runner consider if they're jogging too slowly? Is there even a such thing? as the question goes from Brandon, um, as running too slowly for jogging or um, when jog is more like what uh, what it should be for easy. So how do you kind of find the discrepancy? Now, of course, the further question context here, Brandon says it probably depends on where a runner is in their training phase. And that is naturally quite true. Um, where you are developmentally as a runner in general as well, uh, that can matter here. But um, what you're preparing for, does that make a difference? It's part of the question. Uh, does it matter if you're trying to run a marathon or if you're preparing for a 5k? These are good questions to be asking. Brandon's a smart guy. And then ultimately ends with the question being, are there some specific kind of cues or signs that you can think about or pay attention to, um, to know if you are doing easy and jogging? Okay. Great question, Brandon. Um, in, in terms of individual context, Brandon, uh, also has in his training schedule specific days that say jog on this day and other days that say easy running and the description is different the description on the jogging says either just very gentle jogging or minimal effort jogging those largely are used interchangeably and then the the easy running says more like comfortable aerobic pace um, and something of that nature and so in that situation brandon yes you just use the word pace i just want to point that out yeah i did i did just, you know. Yep, I did. Got to okay, keep him honest so, here. <laughs> thanks. This is, you're right. That's very good. Okay, so um, the, the the situation here and Brandon and, and trying to identify are there signs and cues is the right kind of thing to be thinking about. Because um, how do you know? How do you know that you're getting any kind of effort right? If the goal is to get the effort right, then that's, you know, something important. So in this particular instance, jogging is the layer of running before you get to um, a, a true aerobic stimulus. And so that means that a jogging effort has to be below the threshold of a, an aerobic um, adaptation kind of area. And so how do you know if that's the case? You know, for, for one thing, um, if you're in an aerobic state, 
even at a, a small, slight rather, aerobic stimulus, um, then you're starting to change in terms of breathing. And so that's the first place you look. How am I breathing? Uh, for jogging, for minimal effort anything, breathing should never be a question. Like you should be able to be on the phone with someone talking at your normal rate without noticing that you're doing anything um, to really truly call it jogging because it shouldn't be an aerobic stimulus ultimately. And for easy running, you can be conversational, but you're going to need to pause every now and then to take a breath and to be able to keep breathing. Um, another good example of that is if you start running up any kind of incline at an easy pace, it quickly becomes apparent that you can't like talk in full sentences anymore for a moment. Um, whereas if you're jogging, you should still be able to talk in full sentences, even if you're running up a hill. Um, so, so that's a good place to start. Uh, how am I breathing is kind of a consideration that matters there. Um, the other side of it though, is the input is the key. And we always have to remember that the goal here is not to try to identify the signs. Ultimately, it's to know if I'm exerting enough to match the desired goal. And for easy running, you are in deliberately trying to find a comfortable running rhythm for jogging. You are deliberately holding yourself back. So you're trying to maintain a reserved state in a jog, whereas an easy run, you're allowing your effort to be kind of more natural by itself without that restraint. So that's the kind of the, those are the two sides of it. Um, there's a lot of other things that you might look at if the breathing side of it isn't giving you a clear sign, but when it comes down to it, it's more about, am I intentionally holding myself back the, for the whole run? If I am, that's more like a jog. If I'm not, and it's more kind of a comfortable I like what you used to write on your Strava. It was like, as slow as you like. So, sailing. I used to call it sailing when I was coaching sailing. high school. Um, slow slow as, as you like. You like. But that's not necessarily because like. the, because runners don't always run the same degree of effort when you tell them to go as slow as you like because it's giving you the option. So it's, oh. yeah. So my point with slow that was, Zach likes. My, point with, <laughs> my point with the idea of sailing for the run, not only does it sound relaxing <laughs> because it's sailing, um, I know it's not spelled correctly. Don't give, don't give me a hard time about that. But my point about that is that um, you want to run as slow as you comfortably can. That's the goal of those kinds of runs. And so that's that restraint piece. You're deliberately slowing yourself down until you get to the point where it's uncomfortably slow. That's not good anymore. So that's kind of where that came from. Sure. Yeah. I don't use that anymore, though. You, you just yeah, you used me. to. I forgot all mm -hmm. about it. Well, I don't coach high school anymore. So it's. Gotcha. Anyway. Next question. This question is from Kim, and she asked about warming up for, for a marathon. Like, what should you be doing as you're warming up? And we have a lot to say about this because yeah, I start think... with a 10-mile jog, no. very easy jog. <laughs> you guys wouldn't be surprised if he said that either, I don't yes, think. Yes, they would. They, you don't th I don't it... know. No, we want a very small amount of warm-up for marathon running because the marathon is a very long race. Yeah. I feel like I'm saying the obvious there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, he just looked at yeah. me like, of course, Andy. Um, yeah. So Kim's situation in particular here with the question was um, first marathon and it's pretty cool weather. So that adds a layer of context here. Now, um, in general, the, the advice will change depending on the nature of the conditions and the day. Like if it's a really hot day for your race, then you're going to do nothing like what we're about to say because you don't want to do something like this on a super hot day. Um, it would look very different. But for a colder day where you need to warm up, literally get your body temperature up just a little bit, um, your heart pumping just a little bit more beforehand, um, for, in that case, then you do want some kind of minimal warm-up. Minimal is key. Um, 
Lydiard suggests 10 to 15 minutes of some light jogging in there and a little bit of like mobility stuff. Um, I never remember. What is it? What is that word that Lydiard always used to describe mobility? Uh, suppling. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> suppling exercises. I, like I know. I love it. I love it. It makes me think of leather. Interesting. That's not it. All what? Yeah, no, it so, is because you're. I, well, I get, up, I get why. Your, yes. your muscles pliable. It yeah. does make sense. I know. I get why. I just said that's not at all what I thought about. Oh, okay. Um, now, now I will probably. I'm just going to think of leather. So, so uh, the mobility exercises. The point of this is, uh, what do you need to be ready for a marathon? And the answer is not much. Um, you don't want to start with cold, tight muscles. So you want to do something to kind of warm up and loosen up your muscle tissues just a little bit. Enough so that when you're starting, you're not just starting from zero. Um, but the marathon's a long enough race that you can start easy and ease into your desired effort. Um, you don't have to start at your goal effort for a marathon. Um, matter of fact, you shouldn't, but that's a different question. So in that case, what do you need? You, you want a little bit of activity and a little bit of mobility, and that's plenty. If it's a super hot day, however, that changes things because you need to stay as cool as possible before the start of the race so that your body temperature is not rising faster than it needs to when the race goes off. So in that case, um, before a hot race, then I wouldn't do any jogging, but instead would do just some activation exercises, uh, things that are very low effort activation mm -hmm. types of things and just have make sure that everything's kind of firing a little bit um, and then you're ready to go mm -hmm. and most people have a walk to the start line mm -hmm. it's most likely that you're not going to be like your your hotel isn't going to be right next to the start line so you can use that as your warm-up you don't just like sleep in a sleeping bag on the start <laughs> line the night before and then hammock that's a way to do hammock it right at the start line that would be funny that would be actually that's that's not a bad idea yeah. i wonder if they would let Depends on Probably the race. Not. Okay, so that that's it. Um, that's all you want. And what exactly you do really is not that important at this point in time, um, because when it comes to a marathon, it's not essential that you do the right thing, but that you just do a little bit of something in that kind of vein. Right. And I think we had mentioned on a podcast several weeks ago now about how that is a mistake that a lot of marathoners make is warming up too much mm. and running too much before they get started. And, you know, maybe they're doing some sprints or, you know, doing some of those kinds of things before the marathon, which you don't really need as much of that for. There is the neuromuscular piece of it that you do want some activation with, but the like actually the exer exertion and um, all of that, like you don't need that because the marathon's such a long distance, you're gonna find a sweet spot in there when you start rolling. So it's true. So here's here's a case example. Then for my two fastest marathons that I've run, the first one of them was Chicago, and basically your warm up in Chicago is just trying to get to the start. That's most by races. any means necessary because <laughs> well yeah that one in particular has like it's the the choke points are um there aren't very many of them and so like all of these thousands of runners get stuck in these like two or three choke points when they're trying to get into the start area and in, so in that in that case in particular I like jogged five minutes to get to that park entry area and then basically stood in line for an hour and however long it takes to get through there and then jogged another five minutes to get to the start tent area where we were like getting our stuff ready and that was it more or less. And then I did a few activation drills. So you could say I did 10 minutes of jogging. It was very much broken apart and you could say I did about five minutes of activation drills and that would be accurate. And then for the second fastest marathon that I ran, I was a little late 
to uh, the start of that race. And so as a consequence, I did absolutely no jogging unless you count like a little bit of hop skip jogging when I was like just crossing the lawn between where I was standing and where the start line was, um, which doesn't count as jogging. And then I I did try to do like three or four seconds of activation drills. And that was it. And then started the race. Um, and, and it felt just fine. So, and that was a warmer weather one, by the way, the second one, the mm-hmm. first one was a little bit cooler. And so it made sense that I really wouldn't have even noticed the lack of warming up for that second one, but you know, start easy and mm-hmm. you won't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get to the third question. And this is, uh, based on time here is probably going to be our last question for now. Uh, but Let's uh, let's look at overtraining versus peaking or in, as, a, as a kind of another part of the same question, uh, peaking too early. So this question from Adi asking specifically about um, in the final few weeks of training here and kind of what's going on. So I'm going to I'm going to lay out the context because there's a lot to it that helps inform how we're going to respond here. Um, in particular, Adi is running a type of phase here that involves a hill workout and then a couple of longer tempo runs. Uh, during the week. And those are like the harder efforts. So three hard efforts, um, a decent amount of volume, and then it's just all easy jogging in between them. But uh, what we're talking about here is after the first hill workout is where this question comes in. So I took a beating in that workout. It was challenging uh, and noticed I was, didn't feel like I was able to even fully finish each of the hill repeats each time up the hill. Um, and so it sounds like maybe just a little bit too much effort in the early stages of the hill, not being able to get all the way up it um, with equal effort. And so that's a, that's a question there. You know, is it possible that that was uh, an overexertion in that workout? Um, and maybe that helps inform the rest of the week here. Because then what, what's going on is after that, my calves have been sore as a result of those hill repeats. I was worried, especially on the Wednesday and Saturday workouts, which those were the longer tempos. Um, I had no legs, but I persevered. I was happy with both days' efforts and pleasantly surprised by the paces generated in the process. I like that. He's surprised by the paces, clearly he meaning looking at, um... that he wasn't trying <laughs> to run certain paces. I like it. Nice work, Adi. That's good stuff. Um, so, and especially like having run these things solo, not necessarily with other people and just kind of having to gauge effort individually like that. Um, and so that's kind of the nature of how it went. But how do I make sure though in, now at this point, thinking through what happened in that week, how to make sure I'm not overtraining, not going too hard in mm-hmm. some of these efforts. Uh, and then at the, in the same time, how do you make sure that you don't peak too early? And is that the same question or a separate question? I've felt good uh, for the last few weeks, but uh, didn't feel easy on some of these runs and yet was running decent <clears throat> times. So there's a question kind of of like, um, am I... It, by by not feeling good on some of these tempos, is it possible that I'm overtraining or overdoing some things because I'm not feeling as good as I was a couple weeks ago? Okay, so there's the question. And uh, the couple weeks ago in reference here was a different kind of workout structure. Uh, the, the hills and tempo stuff going on now is new. All right, so... Um, oh, and, and just a, a quick layer of filter here. Adi has had injury difficulties in the past, uh, recent past. And so uh, wondering if maybe some of his concern is uh, just kind of heightened sensitivity to that mm. because of those experiences. Mm. So Adi, good question. Um, overtraining in general is, is, is a challenge because it's easy to do and you don't ever know until after you've done it. <laughs> it's kind of the thing that happens with overtraining uh, because you don't feel the consequences of it until it's too late. Um, so that's a good that's a good question for any of us to ask. But in this particular situation, Adi, you have a, a workout structure that is new, and so you have to know how do I make sure I give the right kind of efforts here, uh, so that I'm not overtraining. 
the peaking too early part, we'll come back to that in a moment because that's it, that layers in a little bit differently. But as far as how do you know you're not overtraining in this situation, um, you have to make sure that any time you're going to do a hard effort workout, especially when they're longer hard efforts or faster, higher intensity hard efforts, either side of that coin, um, then you need to feel recovered for that effort. You need to feel like you're ready to give a hard effort. And if you don't feel that way, you shouldn't run the workout. You should run easy until you do feel that way. And if it's taking you more than two days, this is kind of the rule of thumb with any kind of training in general, but um, with some nuances, if it's taking you in this situation, Adi, more than two days to feel recovered and ready for another hard effort, that's how you know you went too hard in the previous one. So I should feel decent the next day and ready to go again the second day after. And if not, I need to scale back those efforts just a little mm. bit. Mm -hmm. So, and, and why is that, Adi? Because you're trying to do long, hard efforts here. And long, hard efforts do two things for you. The first is that they hide how difficult it is because you're not doing a terribly hard pace type of thing. Like that's something manageable for you. The degree of effort is not all that bad, but you're doing it for so long that you get in the final stages and suddenly it just like hits you that, oh my goodness, I'm really tired. And I didn't really notice it earlier because it's not that intense of a run. Um, so that's one of those things that happens. And then the same thing is true with hill type of stuff because in hill repeats, you feel pretty good when you start. And then suddenly halfway through, you realize that you have nothing or left. Halfway up the hill. Halfway up the hill. That's what I mean. You yeah. feel like you have nothing left. And suddenly it's like my legs are getting heavy and I just can't even do it anymore. Um, and so all of these things amount to the same kind of consideration, which is it's easy to overdo these types of workouts because you are in deliberately putting yourself in a situation where you have to feel better than you think you should mm. early in the workout so that you don't feel worse than you need to later. Yeah, and another thing to consider and to know, I guess, and I'll encourage you with this, that when you do a workout for the first time, you have a new workout on your schedule, you always want to be a little bit more reserved than you think you should be because it is pretty natural that if you haven't been doing hills and then you're, you do them, you will be more sore. Mm. Like you had discussed your calves getting sore. So I think that's also something to keep in mind. It is a new stimulus. And with a new stimulus, sometimes you're not going to feel great. So I think that we can on the front end kind of reserve ourselves just a bit in that first workout where we're in injecting some new stimulus to our training. Yeah. And every workout, every workout needs to have that same perspective of, I can't be going so hard in any kind of workout that I feel like I can't finish at the same degree of effort the whole time with a little bit left over. And so if you ever get done with a workout and it's like, I was scraping by just survival mode in the final 10 minutes or the final two minutes or whatever it is, then you knew you were going too hard at that point. And so you have to be able to get to a point where you can measure your efforts so that you finish knowing you have enough left that you could continue if you wanted to a little bit more. And this is another reason why I, I love to leave the watch at home or not look at the watch is because I think a lot of us have it ingrained in us that when we start doing something at, at a pace that we have to finish doing it at the pace, even if it's requiring way more effort than is prescribed for the day. It is not a failure to stop to modify. It's not. A, it's not. It's not a failure at all because what we're looking for are the adaptations and the growth of fitness during that workout. So if you are running and you see your times are getting a little bit slower, but you're exerting the proper, proper amount of effort, 
that's okay. Instead of scrounging, like Zach said, like scraping the what's left in your body to try to hit a certain pace. And then, you know, it takes you four days to recover from that just so that you could hold the same pace through the whole workout. That's not what we're looking for. So if we're able to salvage it and gauge it to a proper effort, it's okay if you look back at your results after the fact and you did slow down a bit. That means you were being wise to draw back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what it comes down to in general with overtraining is you just need to be able to make sure that you are feeling recovered before you're doing your next hard efforts. And that, that kind of mindset that runners often have, which is like, I didn't feel great, but I was able to get through it. That's a bad thing. <laughs> it's, it's a bad thing when you repeatedly don't feel great, but still force your way through it. Um, that's, that's going to result in overtraining. And that's where overuse injuries almost always happen is when you're running hard efforts when your body isn't ready for them yet. So then there's that second layer and the peaking too early question, which is a piece of this same puzzle. And what it really amounts to peaking too early can come from a lot of different types of things. But in almost every situation, it's going to happen either because you are scaling back your training load. And by scaling back your training load, your stimulus is now lower. And so when you lower the stimulus, your body suddenly is like fresh and primed and ready to go. Um, what's really difficult to do is lower the stimulus and then raise it again and be able to respond in a, in a, in an even sense. The body doesn't really like handling that very much. And so one of the reasons people peak too early is because they lower the training stimulus in some capacity. Um, so if you're going to do something like lower the volume, you need to raise the intensity and that helps counterbalance your training. Stimulus is not overall lower. It's just a different type of stimulus. Um, and that's the second side of it. The second side of why people peak too early is because they raise the intensity in their training and try to sustain it for too long. And so high intensity types of training only achieves adaptations for a limited time because it exists as a percent potential of your overall aerobic potential in, in running. And so as a consequence, if you do too long of high intensity stuff, in the final stages of your training, you're likely to peak too early. That's not to suggest that you can't do some things and kind of get really creative with, you know, you have a major race and then you want to have another major race six weeks later or something like that. These things are possible, but you got to really know what you're doing and change the types of training stimulus in certain kinds of ways. So that's not part of this question, but that is something worth considering. And if you have questions about things like your situation and whether or not overtraining or peaking are concerns, Ask them because the specific situations matter here. In Adi's case, it sounds like you're risking the potential of overtraining. And so you want to just make sure you're measuring those efforts uh, well and appropriately and ready to go for the hard efforts before the next time you try. Okay. Now, that said, we do have one other quick thing. This is not a question, but it's a follow-up from a listener question a while back. If you recall, Cathal from Ireland asked a question about ellipticals uh, in a previous month's episode, and we had a chance to answer his question um, and give kind of some of our thoughts. But then what he did, which is just awesome here, is he now is reporting back to us on his experience and kind of how it amounted to. So Cathal's situation was, I want to use the elliptical to help supplement some things in my training. And I'm trying to figure out what the best use of it is. So what he ended up doing is ran, ran a marathon after training, uh, having some injury troubles. So training with the elliptical as a piece of his overall aerobic types of stuff. And so he used in particular, the elliptical to help supplement volume. So he could add more volume to the th stuff he's doing in a healthy way. Also to add intensity, 
without some of the risks of doing that intensity while running. And if you recall, when we were talking about Cathal's question previously, we said you're going to have a kind of cost benefit here. If you use the elliptical for intensity, then you're losing some of the potential benefit of running. But if you can't do the hard efforts running and stay healthy, the elliptical can be a very safe alternative for some of those things. Well, here's how it ended up. Cathal ended up running a very strong marathon performance, a 258, in fact. Nice work, Cathal. Um, not his personal best time, but it was a much tougher day, much tougher course than his personal best time. And overall, people were running slower times in general on that. So that makes sense. Not bad when you're running basically in, in PR range uh, off of a season where you're concerned about injury stuff. That's yeah. really cool. Um, so here's here's how he did it. Um, did almost no higher intensity stuff running. Only did some things like three by 10 minutes at stronger efforts. Um, did a lot of the slower long efforts though, mm -hmm. like 20 milers, five times in fact, five 20 milers in this buildup, which great. is great. That's very strong. Um, but then use the elliptical to supplement things like adding uh, two by 20 minute, three by 10 minute at hard efforts on the elliptical. Um, and so trying to get that increased aerobic kind of stimulus without the, the run. Uh, risks and it ended up going really well that's that's awesome nice work Cathal thanks yes. for sharing the yeah, update I loved that that's really I love cool. that he reached out again to give us the results well, he said he would so he yeah. did that's awesome thank you Cathal you know I appreciate it. And, and let's just say this right now if if you ever ask a question on the episode and then whether or not you take our advice you know or, or curious either way if you do any of the things that we suggest but uh, report back and let us know, you know, here's how the thing went that I was asking about. Um, we would love to know. That's just really exciting to us. So thank you, Cathal, for that. Congrats on that as well. And thank you to all of you for asking questions. If you have a question and you would like to ask it, do so anytime by going to a to z running dot com slash question. And we'll queue it up for the next end of month Q&A episode. Now let's get on to the world of running. Let's get started with a quick update from some A to Z runners. In particular, one that we know of ran, ran a race. Aaron ran half marathon this past weekend and happened to take a victory while Woo! she was at it. Nice work, Aaron. Way to go, Aaron. Solid on the win. And I like the name of it, Hot Cider Half. Well, it's yeah. that time of year. Where hot, hot, cider. hot Cider Hustle. <laughs> hot Cider Hustle? Yes. yes. Are you and hustling she, for she the hustle. Hot Cider? She hustled for the win. So. She hustled. Great work. Nicely done there. And let's talk about World Marathon Majors. Um, this one in particular is a fascinating story. So mm -hmm. it, it comes from an uh, original source here is from Let's Run. And what World Marathon Majors just announced is they do a series prize. So the series is the six races currently. They're adding one eventually. We'll see. Or more. Um, and so the one who wins the most points across the entire series in a given calendar year wins the series prize. Um, naturally, as you might guess, most only run two at most of the marathon majors in a given year. However, that's not always the case. Um, a good example of this is Sarah Hall has successfully in the past run like nearly back-to-back -back marathon majors, uh, like two or three weeks apart and such, and with great success. She's not the only one. Um, so that being the case, in any event, the one who scores the most points wins the series prize. When they began the series prize back in, I think it was 2006, um, it was $500,000. 
for first money. place. That's a lot of money. And I that's, mean, for racing, but not like compared to other professional sports. Exactly, but that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Is like that was that's the that was like basically the premier. So the World Marathon Majors has always been the big payday for runners. It's why runners always end up running the marathon when they were you know super fast track runners and such because the mo the money you can make is all in the marathon in the marathon majors specifically. So the individual races, of course, pay their own prize purses um, that are quite substantial. Depending on the race, they're different, different amounts. Um, but the world marathon majors has always underwritten that with an additional series prize now since 2006. So at first it was $500,000. That's sizable. Um, and then at, in 2017, I believe it is, they cut it to $250,000 and then added a few additional places. So they were paying more people, but less overall. Um, and they added some prize purses for, uh, some other divisions like wheelchair divisions as well, hand cycle or something like that. So that's good. You know, it's still a lot of money, still the most premium cash prize, uh, option for runners. Well, they just announced again, cutting the prize purse again, this time to $50,000. Well, we just lost a zero there. <laughs> so folks. like, like it basically went from that's a sizable amount of money to that's not really well, it a drop in the bucket all for of their uh, <laughs> travel costs across the world. I mean, listen, listen, <laughs> just teasing. to say yeah. this is the world premier yeah. flagship of running and we pay for the victor $50,000, right? I mean, the belt that the wrestlers get is itself worth more than $50,000. I know, I know. Let alone the... Okay, so it's... you know that we're going to complain about that because we, because we think runners should be getting more for their sport. And there is money that is being made at these events. There's a lot of money. It oh, yeah. It costs so much oh, yeah. to go and race a marathon. Like, we're all digging in our pockets. Specifically the marathon majors. Exactly. So the money... There is money in the race event itself it's just where it's being allocated if they're going to give that to professional running and we'd love to see it go towards the sport of running instead of maybe just a few people on top who are organizing these races although yeah. they deserve to be paid well as too but it is a sport and so it's just <laughs> it's just sad because they have been speaking of being a big force and movement in the sport but then to be decreasing and decreasing and decreasing just shows that that's not as true as it yeah. used to be there's not as much of a backing to professional running so it's just well it, what sad. makes it worse is that world marathon majors was asked about this like so hey can you dare care to comment on this decision and their comment was well this is a good thing because now the running and the wheelchair divisions make the same and of course our first answer is well, no, it's still not a good thing. Just pay the wheelchair divisions more. Exactly. Don't cut the running ones <laughs> yeah. so much to make them the same. It just that makes a, no sense. It makes it sound like it's like altruistic. It's not. It's, it's not at all. And then also right. they were asked, okay, well, what about like runners like Elliot Kipchoge? Because by the way, he won this year's series, was anticipating because he won it a $250,000 prize purse. Because until now, that's what it was advertised as this whole year. They've only got one majors left. All the races have happened. So that's basically like saying, so I know you just won this championship thing. And I know that you thought we were going to give you $250,000, but we're not. But we're not. And we don't really have a good reason. We're just not going to do it. Is there something in a contract? I No, a that's lawyer the get thing. Involved? That's I don't the know. Thing. So they said, oh, yeah, but we talked to them. We sat down with them. And I'm like, so? 
I don't. I don't that care if you talk to him. That doesn't make it any better. You just back. cut two hundred thousand dollars off of his paycheck. Okay, so that's you can see quite. You can hear quite clearly our emotion. The man in this who like builds no a library sense. in his hometown with the money he makes. I, I mean, mean, he's yeah. like, yeah. If you want, but it's not. But yes, it's not about Kipchoge though, because this is this is obviously like just a running general kind of thing that happens. And what it amounts to is, it's clear. It's abundantly clear to us that all of the organizations that operate and control the sport of running are working actively against supporting runners and the decisions they make. It It makes no sense. So we don't know why. Although we also know, and it's true, that running is not the kind of sport that brings in tons and tons of money. You know, it's not like those big stadium sports. Well, in Europe it does. I mean, it's true. Yeah, other parts of the world it really does. Uh, But also the World Marathon Majors are the premier events. They are sold out all the time. Tens of thousands of runners are participating in these things. If you looked at how much they actually net from the runners participating in these events, it's insane. How are they not able to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to a few runners? Okay, that's my question. And there's no answer to it because they wouldn't answer it. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> moving on to something a little bit more exciting and fun. Yeah. Um, lots more, in fact. <laughs> there's uh, there's a story here um, from the Dublin Marathon. And this, this is specifically published by Independent. Uh, and they have a runner here, an Irish runner, who has kind of just a cool backstory and we always love the backstories one of the things that's interesting to us as we talk about races is there's always kind of like the here's the results and the first few people and they won and stuff like that and that's really interesting to know you know who are the people winning the races Um, but also there's always other stories involved and so when we can find some of them we always like to share them with you this one in particular was david mansfield of Ireland, who at 37 years old is running his best marathoning of his life. In fact, he actually only recently started marathoning. Right. And that's part of what makes the story Again, so cool. Again, a lifestyle change. We've yes. heard it so many times. Was it Sorkin? Yeah, I think it was. Sorkin with the ultra runner, yeah, yep. and then setting all the ultra world records, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Mansfield, once again, uh, a lifestyle change in his 30s, decided to take up some marathoning and, you know, found out he had a knack for it. It's so much so. Listen to this. Um, fourth fastest Irishman in 2022 by running 216 in February, um, which is a two and a half minute PR, almost three minute PR. Uh, three and, three and a half. Minute half PR. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, 219 and change was his PR previously. So, like, just, you know, really fast early on, you know, marathoning just came quite well to him. Um, and just really Im- improvements like this at this age are exciting to see because you just don't see people running marathons at a super high level when they've never done it before so it's a really cool story between his first and his second he had just slipped under three hours for his first marathon and his second one was 230 something that's awesome yeah that's very cool 30 minute pr in the marathon so really neat uh he's number 30 all time on the irish all-time list and uh so just you know it's it's one of those stories that kind of exciting to see how he does now so he ran the dublin marathon and it was kind of like anticipated you know how how could he do there starting to realize like i'm i'm potentially able to like run with the leaders at this level now and you know what do i do with that and so there was a bit of like imposter syndrome kind of reflection there Mm -hmm. as it were the race did not go his way and so and that the, happens. the end result, that of course happens. He ended up 11th, which is still great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, a career like that is very fascinating to us. So we're, we're curious to see kind of how that <clears throat> continues to unfold. Now to NCAA conference meets and some national favorites that we would like to cover. On the men's side, 
Stanford crushed the competition. They weren't anticipated to crush this definitively, though. It was very impressive. And it was led by the individual champ, Charles Hicks. And the team went, get this, one, three, five, six, seven. Well, where's second and fourth in there? Yeah, I mean, what's up with that? What, what, what uh, happened it was to the only, sweep? So it was just 22 points that they yep. scored. 15 points is a perfect score. Remember when in cross country, it's like golf, you want a yep. low score. And then Colorado was second with 61 points. Wow. And, they just smashed Colorado? Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, they have a strong conference. The gap between Stanford's number one guy and number five guy was only 25 seconds. That's really good. And Stanford's sixth runner needs to be mentioned as well because he was 10th. Okay. And he would have been at least the second man on every other team in the Pac-12. <laughs> yep. Wow. He's got PBs of 13.45 in the 5K, 29.41 in the 10K, and was 80th at NCAA's last year. So That's interesting their number six man. Our number six guy is a 13.45 5K runner. So we, you heard us at the very beginning of the fall say that Stanford was uh, one of those teams to watch this year, mm -hmm. and so it's unfolding well for them. Yeah, so on the women's side – Although the favorites did win, it was not – they look vulnerable. Mm. And they have okay. looked vulnerable, and they're looking vulnerable even going into nationals, but they're still rocking it. And it's kind of fun to see that too, you know, where someone has to scrounge to, to win. Like they just have to work so hard to win. Like, like maybe it's just not easy for them to win? Yeah, you, no. You're saying it's more fun to, to watch when there's a race? They have to work hard to win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. So NC State, they are yeah. unbeaten. They're incredible. And they have been leading with Caitlin Tui at the helm. But second to her is Kelsey Chamil. And they were 1-2 in their conference race. And it's likely that the two of them will be top 10 at nationals. Yep. So that's what happened for NC State women. On the individual side, we have one to watch, Parker Valby. So people are saying that they think Parker Valby is the one to win this race. That's what nationals. they're saying, but they're also saying, like, okay, it's cross-country. It's not super comparable across all these different courses. But yeah. I'm going to tell you why we can be more certain that she'll be in the mix if she has a decent day. So let's let's go backwards. Two weeks ago... Many were suspicious that Velby ran on a short course at Texas A&M because she ran so fast. She ran a time of 18.28 for a 6K course. Wow. For yeah. 6K. Yeah. I think it was actually – it might have been slower than that, 18.50-something. I don't know why it says 28 here. Well, but. anyway. Okay. But this <laughs> week, she raced last year's NCAA winner, Mercy Tillingat. And Velby took the lead before the 10-minute mark to Mercy. So that's Gapping like at like early in the race. I know ten minutes. Whoa! So she quickly gapped her, but she only ended up winning um by a margin. So I'll tell you their times: eighteen twenty-five point nine was Velby's time, and Chilangets was eighteen thirty-three. You mean about eight seconds? I mean that's eight seconds. That's something. I mean it is, but it's not like at the ten minute mark you would think like maybe she was going to run away with it for like good with, out of sight, but she was not out of sight. So cor correct me if I'm wrong. Parker Valby's a sophomore this year, right? Like she was oh, a I true don't... freshman last year. Oh. <laughs> and that's nuts. So part of what part of what this says to us is a situation like this where okay, as a true freshman, she was great. Um, it now looking even better, and so you just you ask the question, okay, she's just continuing to mature as a runner. That speaks volumes about her potential to win these kinds of races because her momentum yeah. is 
by far better than anyone else's at the moment. Yeah, and in this race, I guess there was a girl back in like tenth place. I don't know exactly, but she's a five k runner and she's run fifteen minutes, like fifteen oh one or something like okay. that. And so they're, I mean, we can't speculate. People speculate are starting from to say things like, track, yeah. but they're like, Velby's gonna run like fourteen forty on the track. What a silly, and the 5K. What a silly thing I don't to know. speculate. People like to speculate, but oh, all that to say, it's exciting because she's not running just great collegiate times, but she's running times that we need to be looking out for for like Olympic yeah, teams world, and things. World class times world for class sure. Times. Well, I mean, the top NCAA cross country runners are world class cross country runners, absolutely beyond yeah. all doubt. Um, so when you're doing stuff like this, yeah. So so here here are the people to watch. Then you, you've heard a few of their names. Certainly, when it comes to NCAA national championships, um, the one who wins that race is always entered into legendary status because it is such a hard race to win. So Mercy Chalengat, being a previous victor herself, is this is her final go now at the cross country stage, collegiate cross country stage, and so you know she's got she's got something to prove because these young bucks are coming out and starting to you know threaten her territory. So it'll be cool to see. But Parker Valby, Caitlin Tui, and her teammate Kelsey Schmiel as well, um, all ones to watch as this race comes close. And then, you know, on the men's side, we've got to see we got to see Charles Six of uh, Stanford. We've got to see those uh, NAU guys. Um, certainly Nico Young is touting himself in races as the guy to beat. So there's going to be some exciting stuff coming mm-hmm. your way after NCAA Nationals. And we're excited because next week we're going to have a lot to talk about, too, because we have the uh, NYC Marathon that we're going to be able to cover. So make sure you stay tuned for more World of Running. Good stuff. Well, speaking of staying tuned, if you have questions, we want to answer them. And so ask away, adzrunning.com slash question. Ask as many as you want. Ask as often as you want. And we'll queue them up for the end of month episodes. We'll also, by the way, because I say we'll answer them at the end of the month, but we'll respond to you in an email as well. So you don't only get an answer a month later if you ask the question like right now. Um, we understand that sometimes these questions are more time sensitive than that. So we'll kind of do both if it's uh, if you ask and it's not right at the end of the month. But um, go ahead and do that. And while you're on the website... Look for the word shop, adzrunning.com slash shop, and you can find the sweet merch you've always been wanting. It's the <laughs> coolest looking running apparel on the planet. Wow. Wow, you might have oversold that. Not at all. It's very true. <laughs> well, we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.